0: To Books and Beyond with your hosts Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl,
1: and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind. Kiara,
0: I'm thrilled to be here today with Penny Ashton, poet, the originator of Poetry Idol. If you were at WOMAD this year, you might have seen her at the Poetry Slam. Comedian, actor, improviser, also social commentator, TV presenter, wedding celebrant, and self-described all-round
1: show-off. Kia ora, Penny. Kia ora. I like his self-described. But you can call me a show-off too. It's fine.
0: <laughs> self-described is a very handy word. Yes. <laughs> In today's world, people are quick to leap to the occasion. So, um Jane Austen is famous for focusing on shades of character. And what I'm going to do today is the opposite. I'd like to spotlight here together with you your formidable gifts as, as I said above, comedian, actor, and improviser because the occasion of this visit to Books and Beyond is that you're about to open at the Q Theatre Vault Basement in Austin Found, the undiscovered musicals of Jane Austen. That's right. Congratulations as part of the New Zealand International Comedy Festival lineup. So 14th of May. Yep and i thought that to get started so i know this is like asking the magician to do the same old trick of cutting the woman in half (laughs) (laughs) but i just loved when i went to see one of your jane austen musicals um the game of everyone picking their jane austen name yes and i loved it so much that in fact i had us do it for valentine's day myself and my co-presenter here at books and beyond and i actually got it wrong because i couldn't quite remember the suffix right. got the prefix and get the suffix so to get us in the mood I think we could get our Jane Austen
1: name Indeed. sorted so what is your favorite member of the royal family female so does it have to be the British royal? No, family? any royal family. So I've been preparing for this. Right. I thought,
0: why do the same old Elizabeth every year? I say Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth the First. Oh, um, as right. a redhead, I'm sure you appreciate that, indeed. But I've decided to go a little further af- abroad, and I've thought about Greek tragedy, and I'm <gasps> going to go with Queen Hecuba.
1: Hecuba. You see, that works because sometimes you know, if it's if it's a not an English name. You know, that sounds this sounds bad. Not to be inexclusive, in exclusive, but, um, or exclusive, that's probably that word. Um But Jane Austen's obviously very much in the English realm. But Hecuba, I think, works very well for an upper-class sort of lady. So now, and what's your first pet's name? So my first pet was a parakeet named Hustle Bustle. <laughs> <But>
0: we could... <laughs> Named after a character in a book, or but we him. could just go with the hustle.
1: Yeah, hustle. So Hecuba, hustle bottom. Oh, it's lovely. That is a fantastic Jane Austen. A Hecuba, hustle bottom. <laughs> it's been in my mind. I go with Elizabeth because I actually do quite like the Queen. I think she's gone through a lot. The Queen. Oh, so we're saying Elizabeth the second. Yes, Elizabeth second. Oh. I like Elizabeth the second. And my first pet was Patchy. So Elizabeth Patchy Bottom is mine, and Patchy and Bottom is an interesting combination. Um, Laurie Dungey, who is one of my co-stars, her is uh, I think she's Margaret. It. ginger bottom is oh we lovely call. we've had some great ones fluffy bottom flopsy bottom um, yeah and that's this how we do it and if, you're, if you're a chap yeah, you know, it could be like Edward Tiddles bottom right. and it just sounds ridiculously Austin it's yes. just that addition of the word bottom and I sort of carried it on I do a Dickens show as well and it was like olive copper bottom Oh, wonderful! show, so I sort of ran with that. But people do really love that at the beginning of Austin Found, we come out and get everybody to yell them out, and then we choose one as the main character in our story. So that's how we do that. All
0: right, because these are improvised shows. That, so yes. that was going to be my next question, that, to uh, invite you to tell us a little bit about your shows, because they are very unique. In particular, I'm not sure that everybody knows that we're not talking about a, uh, many film versions that we've yeah. seen of Jane Austen novels. We're on a different thing here. Yes,
1: so 10 years ago, actually 11 years ago now, the New Zealand... Professor from Wellington, um, this man called Derek Flores asked me to bring a show and I was like, because oh, whenever we've done, you know, when you do genre roller coasters in theatre sports matches if people yell out different genres like horror and stuff like this. Somebody yelled out Jane Austen once and we just did this scene and it was so much fun. I loved it. It was hilarious. It was all about teacups and getting married and balls. Oh, I love balls. Do you like balls? <laughs> I love balls. You hold balls very well. So that sort of thing and, you know, and it just went really well and then I was like, hmm, let's do a whole show. So we did and it went really well and then we did it in the New Zealand International Comedy Festival in 2009 at the Drake, um, as it was then, which isn't there now, a bar in town, in South Street, near South, well, Drake Street, and it sold out completely, and I was like "Hmm, something this, yeah exactly, (laughs) something in this, and so what it is, is it's an entirely improvised story in the style of Jane Austen, Um, it's an hour, it's a musical, so we improvise all the songs, we have the fantastic Ross Devereaux, who is a jazz school graduate and a primary school teacher and itinerant music teacher, so he's our improvised musician and he's fabulous and we sing along to him and we improvise everything and it's uh, Laurie Dungy who is actually right now in Germany she's very she's a famous hobbit she's very big in Germany as a hobbit she's in like the director's cut for a second but she's extrapolated that out to a massive career in in Germany as a Hobbit, so she's there right now. We also have Peter Muller, who's a great actor. who's like in Step Dave. You'd recognise his face. He's been in so many different New Zealand things. Also Nigel Burrows, who has been a an actor with New Zealand with Auckland Theatre Sports. Our company has been 35 years now, I think. 30 no 32 years. Our company's been running with improv. So we've all been involved in that company for at least 10 years. I've been there for 20. Laurie's been there for like nearly 30. Nigel's been there for 32. And yeah and we just make up Jane Austen's stuff so we get stuff from the audience um we get a title using the seven deadly sins so we have you know pride and prejudice obviously so we get one of the sins and then we get another word from the audience so we've had pride and pudding senility and um sloth and senility um gluttony and gout uh greed and gratuitousness all this sort of stuff and then we just improvise that for an hour and um and it's very very stupid uh and it is a lot of fun well, stupid in the sense of... Um
0: a, a common denominator isn't it something that everybody can participate in well I should say silly as
1: opposed to silly. stupid silly, yes. silly yes. As I'd as like that to that think it's that. very clever actually but <laughs> you yeah, know it's very very yeah. silly uh, a lot of double entendres. a lot of um, you know oh you hold balls oh do you enjoy it? you have to practice your fingering on yes. the piano forte to get very good at fingering that sort of thing so yes. um, we like to say this is highbrow and uh, lowbrow yes okay. but very cleverly apart from that like you said that it was silly
0: so this is why not to say stupid because yeah. I can point out some clever aspects here having seen two of your shows is that um, very cleverly the double entendres do not um, what's the word prohibit a family Uh, from bringing children yes they are all of the type that they might pass over your head if you're under a certain age well I think
1: we sort of we do have a, a an advisory of like 14 sort of 13, 14. Yeah, that's that's the sort of thing. Because, you know, sometimes, and I think in in the improvised ones, it can go a little bit further. So, but but 13 and 14 is completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: well, who would really, I'm not sure if you would want to bring a five-year-old, even if you thought it was a proper Jane Austen show. (laughs) Somebody
1: brought a (laughs) two-year-old to one of my shows in Fort McMurray in Canada, a two-year-old and a (laughs) six-month-old. So I had to ask them to leave because the baby was screaming and they did not leave. So I had to drop character and go, I'm sorry, I'm not a television. Could Mm. you please leave?
0: Could have brought the kid up on stage and had it made made it part of the no, story. No, no, <laughs> no,
1: because the thing is, like, because that's for my solo show. I do a show called Promise and Promiscuity, um, which I'm actually touring around Hamilton, Tauranga, Invercargill, and to Canada again this year. But um, yeah, you, it's, it's for an improvised one. You can sort of, but when that one's scripted. Um, you just get so distracted. Yeah. People don't realize that you're actually not a television and you're, that you're a real person. Yeah. Uh, yes. But this with an improvised one, it would be slightly easier. But no, please do not bring children under 10 because they're not going to get it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I remember I, I'm a big one for saying if the double entendres pass over children's heads. So that's based on my experience of having been taken as a child by my parents in the days when you went to um, outdoor, what do they call them? Drive-in theaters. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> big saving of money for families <laughs> to see um, Never on Sunday. And then, you know, it was a famous Greek movie about a prostitute who worked at the port of Piraeus. <laughs> and my sisters and I who were about like seven, six and five at the time, thought that she was just a beautiful woman with many friends. Look wow. how many friends Look how many yes. friends she has. And they're all male. And
1: they give her <laughs> money
0: for no good reason. Right, I see. They just like to buy her things. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I think if somebody wanted to slip in there with their 11 year
1: old Yeah, I um, just, what I mean they're not going to get um, the world, they're yes, not going to get the yeah. jokes about getting married, yeah. and, you know what I mean, that sort of thing that's true yeah, and yeah.
0: even less perhaps would be the other great component of your shows which I've seen which is the social commentary to, uh, the, the
1: today's, uh, Jane yeah. Austen had her own social commentary as yeah. we know, but today's social commentary, yeah well because we sort of say that she was, you know she's a proto-feminist which is a feminism before feminism was a thing you know and she absolutely was, like all of her heroines, they're, they're not all of them, but they're, they're clever, they're sharp, they're sarcastic, you know, like they're things that they weren't supposed to be at the time. Um, you know, this is still an era where women had to have a chaperone to go out, which was only 200 and a bit years ago, you know, like you think, so what I like to do with it is highlight how far we have come, but also, you know, how far we still have to go. You know, I have com- commentary in my solo show, for example, about equal pay and stuff like this, and so it's fun to get all those sorts of jibes in, in the 2020 hindsight. So, everyone, no one will ever be flying in the air what sort of ridiculous things are you saying you know and all this sort of stuff is just really fun to you know with 2020 hindsight with history becomes quite funny as well when you can poke things at it too
0: yeah emma and um elizabeth bennett are actually considered to be the two two among the most clever female heroines in literature yep Far I'm and
1: above the men in the st- same story. <laughs> yes, I mean Elizabeth Bennet is. I mean, I think Mister Darcy is sort of her equal, you know, in many ways. And um, but but not so much in her sarcasm and her sharp wit. You know, he's sort of a little, he's reeling a little bit from that sort of like a parrying fight with a with a rapier, sort of getting in there. And I I love her. As what well, I love about Jane Austen is that her you know it's all about. The women. In fact, when we started improvising every now and then, because, you know, when you're, you're never quite sure what, who the lead's going to be when you start, and sometimes the men in our group would try and take the lead, and we were like, no, snap, <laughs> slap, <laughs> slap. It's always a woman's story. Jane Austen is always has a, a woman at the centre, and, and I love that. I mean, she was writing about what she knew, which was very limited, because she was uh, a gentlewoman, but of not great means. So, you know, and she died when she was 41 only. So she didn't get to see a lot of the world. Um, you know, she was in Hampshire. She was in London. She's sort of in those surrounding areas. And so that's what she focuses on. And then the domestic life is what she focuses on, because, again, that's what she knew. But what she can get out of that is amazing. And, every, you know, sort of say, oh, she's this romantic, you know, like chick flick. Chicklet sort of stuff like that, but it's not like that at all. Because I mean, and not that there's anything wrong with those as well, but you know, all of her heroines marry for love, but they also all marry for money. So you know, there's some cynicism brewing underneath about what is makes successful, you know, marriages and what what's deemed to be successful in that time. And you know, and she skewers it to an extent that I don't think she gets a lot of credit for. And also invented like narrative styles. Like she was one of the first people to write. Without using quotation marks, saying what someone was thinking in their head, without them articulating it. Um, so, she's one of the first people to do that narrative style. So, she's not given much credit for innovation in her writing as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you one critic, Northrop Frye, as I remember reading this, I was so impressed with it. Um, so, he actually um, developed a theory, a literary theory. There are only four types of writing, mm-hmm. of recreational reading writing. You know, we're talking scientific treatises. And one is represented by the novel Whereas others are The Confession. So that would be sort of like Rousseau's type work. or And then there's the, the one that's called Anatomy, which tries to include everything, which is like Infinite Jest and these big thick books often written by men who <laughs> think they're so clever and know right. everything about the world and they're going to give it to you. And the novel is represented by Jane Austen because it's a social commentary. It talks about the world that we're living in but with a plot which has been invented mm-hmm. um, for your entertainment and also for what it will inspire you to, you know, the, thought pro- the thoughts it will provoke. Yeah. And and Jane Austen is his maximum for that.
1: Right, and absolutely. And what I love about it too and what I always want to do with my shows is um, have happy endings. <laughs> I know that a lot of people think that that's trite or what have you but I'm not in the business of putting on a show to make people walk out feeling very depressed afterwards. You know, I, I had a wonderful quote from somebody, I did my solo show in Oni actually, which is just south near Pukekohe and a man came up to me afterwards and said, shows like you was add spice to life and i was like that's the best quote i've ever had best (laughs) review you know who needs five stars in the guardian where you can get that and um and i love that and that's what i want to do i want people to come you know be provoked think about stuff particularly with social commentary feminist sort of angles and things but just have a bloody good time and walk out smiley and happy and you know happy about life as opposed to because there's enough misery right now you know i just got back actually it was just in mexico and just to see mexicans railing against donald trump and you know and stuff like that there's Enough in the world that, that can bring you down, but they were actually they were they were dealing with humour. The, the most t-shirt I saw everywhere was "Make tacos, not walls." <coughs> <laughs> And that's my approach too. I just want to make us uh, make you laugh at, at what is there, and also have some optimism and some hope because it can feel a bit bleak right now. Yeah. Well, I suppose
0: you know, as because um, Jane Austen was writing in a time where there was the romantic novel, which, however, at that time didn't mean rom com like it does today. It meant romantic like Heathcliff and yeah. tragic the ending. Right. Well, no, not yeah. Heathcliff wasn't around there yet. But yeah. 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 Um, you know, the wild forces of nature and the impossibility of man actually creating anything lasting or being able to believe. And love and so on, but um, but and so for I think for years possibly Jane Austen also suffered because of her reputation was not as good as it could have been because of the fact that that was considered um, not as as she, her canvas wasn't as wide her mm. her brushstrokes were not as big and exaggerated as in these carry you away novels but that is exactly what's had her last through the centuries isn't it that ability to, on a limited canvas, to create a million shades and give you so much insight into human character. Yeah,
1: I mean, and Northanger Abbey was an absolute parody of the gothic, you know, novel and sort of romance and stuff like that. So, even though that's not her most successful book. Um Yes, like, she just has, my, my favourite thing about her and what I did with Promise and Promiscuity, um, particularly as I went through, because there's 33 direct quotes of hers through that play, because her her dialogue is just delightful. It's it's delicious. It's very sarcastic, and it's very cutting, and it's very funny And her characters. Like, you know, Lady Catherine should, sort of, you know, just love that sort of, you oh, obstinate girl, you know, like, are you trying to marry my nephew? Because if you are, I've got something to say to you, but put a lot better than that, you know. And Mr. Collins, for those who don't know, is like, um, oh, my dear Miss Elizabeth, your modesty so far from doing you a disservice rather adds to your other perfections. You can have no doubt as to the purport of my discourse, my net, your natural delicacy, you know, all this sort of stuff about trying to propose to her in just the most appalling way is just so very funny and i have loved bringing that to the stage with my show and also without um improvised one just doing sort of different types of it you know we we definitely um set it on the archetypes of characters you know so there's the there's the heroine who's just you know sort of very centered and very sensible and then there's her sister perhaps who's just sort of oh oh, for a muse of fire and oh I love everyone I couldn't possibly marry him because he wears flannel waistcoats Mm -hmm. there's a whole big thing about flannel waistcoats and the sensibility that um, Marianne can't marry someone because he likes flannel uh, and stuff like this and then there's Lady Catherine types who sort of talk like this and bumbling sort of vicars and very romantic people lead men and, and stuff so we just play all of them and um, do lots of silly voices, basically, which is very entertaining.
0: <laughs> do the lead men have to jump into lakes lake sometimes to come up with wet shirts or is that? <laughs> yeah, certainly.
1: I don't know. Maybe we need to have little spray bottles on the side of the stage. Uh, yes, there's not so much wet shirt action available at Q Theatre, I'm afraid. So, Yes. <laughs> Unless someone throws a drink on them, but that's not advisable.
0: So um, so that, I'm sure that everybody out there um, will have recognized or will vaguely recognize my reference to the famous scene in the movie which it's my favorite adaptation of a Jane Austen novel, which is, uh, which is not a movie, the miniseries, yeah. with Colin Firth playing
1: um, Mr. Wetshirt, I believe, Yes, um, playing Mr. Darcy. Do you have a favorite of all the movie adaptations? Or? I mean, that one is a, very, is a classic, and I think that one brought, and actually it did, that one has been directly attributable to a huge explosion in the Janeite, which is the Jane Austen fan. That was in 1995. I went to live in London in 96, and I believe it was in 97 or 98, I went to see Sense and Sensibility at the Empire in Leicester Square um, which is a giant screen and just to see Kate Winslet um, being Marianne talking about flannel waistcoats and Am um, uh, thank you it? thank yeah. you yes who's playing Eleanor uh, I just loved it I loved it and I loved like and Emma won the Oscar for Adapted Screenplay that year and she did a wonderful job with the script um, and she actually did an acceptance speech in a sort of Jane Austen sort of style is how she accepted it and um, I saw loved it. I loved Ang Lee was the director. I loved the visuals. I loved the bonnets. I just love period dramas. Like, once I was at a movie theater and out of the corner of my eye, I saw like a cutout They had a bonnet and a frock and I just immediately turned and looked at it and realized, oh, I didn't realize I was quite so attuned. And that was the um, the one about Kate Winslet being the gardener of Versailles, which oh, I, yeah. which I really enjoyed as well. I love that movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I just obviously really like bonnets and frocks. Yeah. But I don't want, some some people like think that Jane Knight's want to live in this time time and this is ridiculous you know like i I, the the notion of not being able to go out without a chaperone the notion of a life without tampons let's be honest uh things like that i just feel that you know nobody wants to live in the regency but you know we just love the love the woman for her wit too and the janeite if you don't know is as i say the jane Austen fan and they are all over the world and they are rabid and they are passionate Um, Some and some people have been an object of derision like the movie Land*, really sort of took the piss out of the Janeite which I found quite offensive um, because these women are incredibly clever you know like Jane Austen is clever and interesting and a great writer and it's literature and so the women that follow her are of a similar ilk I find they're just very funny ladies that are up for a good laugh Um, they don't mind her being skewered slightly which is what we do but it's a very fond skewering what we do there's no point in alienating the very core audience of which is is big, um, but they're awesome, awesome chicks, basically, and the occasional dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually going to say that I was going to say uh, the audience where I um, when I went to see your shows were mixed, yeah. mixed gender, and um, I thought that was really great, and they seem to be laughing and yeah. having just as good of a time. So I wanted to put that out there to people yeah. that it's actually you don't have to bring up your girlfriends if you've got a partner in the house or a no. male friend who wants to go out for the evening. In they fact,
1: think- this is a common malaise. Of the female comedian is constantly painted as a as a ladies' night out, um, whereas dudes is for everyone. That's you know, right. so often. Um, and it's true, but I've actually had a lot of women come up to me after the show going, oh, my husband would have really enjoyed this. Exactly. Or dudes coming up and going, I'm surprised that I enjoyed that. Because that's the thing too, is because there's all the double entendres and the social commentary and stuff that you don't actually have to know, um, be immersed in often at all to get it all. And, you know, we've seen enough things to know that if you're 25 and not married, it's the end of the world and the sort of time and, you know, and all that sort of stuff, the, um, the social mores and the tropes are quite well known, it feels like. It's sort of the osmosed into everybody's consciousness around that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, mm. so it's interesting to me because
0: um, as a constant reader, that, you know, what you were just saying about the shows starring women are the women's nights out, but if they're starring men, they're for everybody. It's yep. the same thing with the writing. So yeah. the book by the male is for everybody, but yep. the book by the female has a female audience publishers think and the, the book cover you know reflects that out of the advertising so yeah so I definitely um, I think this is a genderless I think we can absolutely say it's a genderless attraction which is going forward this is uh, a horrible phrase <laughs> going yeah. forward which Jane Austen would never have used so Jane Austen language um, you know this is another thing I learned recently for that same Valentine's Day show where I mixed up our Jane Austen names is that Jane Austen also contributed words to the language so one of them being nidgety so um, that bonnet is a bit too nidgety, so I need to adjust it. Um, just got a marvelous language which I think you pick up on really well in your shows, right So did that did you have to sort of study for that or did you just well, did you find that you had a,
1: a immediate? what would be the word? Yeah, feeling. Abditude. I've got the ad- absolutely necessary aptitude, which <laughs> is the name of Pam Ayers' autobiography, which I read once. But anyway, um, I am, don't want to blow my own trumpet, but quite good at it. Um, and I think it's because I've sort of watched so much of it and been immersed in it. Certain members of our troop took a little longer to get their tongue around the, as I say, the lexicon, it has, it has infected my lexicon with much fortitude, I like to say, as I ponder from day to day. So you know, you do things like you don't contract, you don't say don't, you say did not and will not and mem- Mama and not mother, but Mama and Papa and dearly beloved and, and all this sort of stuff. But um, yeah, you just have to practice. You have to assiduously assign yourself the task of sitting down to study at great length and with great fortitude. Fortitude is a good one. So is alacrity. So is um, parlous. I've started saying parlous, oh, parlous a lot more in everyday life. It's like there's an absolute parlous state of the traffic to get to my new suburb of Glendine, which I've just moved to. <laughs> sort of like being stuck. Sitting in various barouches, idling on the on the the barouches, you're learning all the different carriage things. The phyton, which was basically the Porsche um, of the carriage of the day, the different food. We've studied a lot of stuff about food. Like they used to eat a lot of cheese and maggots. Oh, Cheese mites, cheese and maggots. So cheese wriggling with maggots. Mmm, tasty delicacy. It's like, what? Um, things like jugged hair. They'd put it just a hair in a jug and boil it. Uh, and things like this. And seed cake was very big. C- caraway seeds. And so we eat much seed cake and drink cups of tea and a little tipple of sherry, but not too much, obviously, because we don't want to get too diddly. And some punch and things. Yeah, so that's pretty much how we talk all the way through it. Um, but I didn't know that much about the neologisms um, for Jane Austen. I know that Dickens had a lot, like flummox. And things like that from Dickens, but didn't actually realize they were. I should know this. I'm going yeah. to go and look this up. Yeah, apparently there's also a talk like Jane Austen Day. Did you know that? Oh, I know there's like talk the, like a pirate day, which is yeah. also my niece's birthday. So I always remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I should. I'd be very good at this talk like Jane Austen Day. <laughs> You'd be wonderful. You'd be a star. I can't remember what
0: day it is. We should look it up. Yeah. We'll have you come back. Um, you actually have a BA, don't you, in drama and classics? I Am I right? Yeah. I do.
1: Yes, and yes. It's been very useful in all of.
0: It. This. <laughs> <laughs> well that was going to be my question so
1: is that or at least was that um but do you think that was an early precursor to your well i mean i've always been the show off like as i said i was born doing jazz hands much to my mother's disgust and not much has stopped like i my first time on stage i was four um so i did drama i did but i did dance actually i was going to be ballerina and then puberty intervened um with breasts and thighs that were not made for for ballerina ballerina ring but i'm quite pleased because my career would be i'm 45 now i've be one And truly over. You'd Um, be having two hips. You'd have had two
0: replaced hips also by now. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) But I might not have menstruated this whole time, so that would have been good too. But anyway, uh, (laughs) that wasn't going to happen. But yeah. So and then I did drama all the way through school, and I started doing theater sports actually, which you know this is all based around improv. And so I started doing that in 1987. It was the first year it was taught in schools. And Laurie Dungey, who's in our group, was one of the first people that were bringing uh, theater sports from Canada. Um, So she, I think she arrived in like she came over the. Um, Commonwealth Games in 1990 and and brought theatre sports she used to be on television like well give us a clue we used to have um, charades on TV Uh, this was a long time ago and Laurie did all of that so I love the fact that I started doing that at a young age and it's how I make a living now um, but, uh, yeah, so I was always going to be on stage really. So at university I did the drama degree and, and classics. Um, but the thea- we did, it was like a theater studies degree. So it was more of an application of theory through performance. So we did a lot of Arto, you know, oh, yeah. Stanislavski, grotowski Boal, things like that, that I probably use some of it, particularly in the improv and different tenant, you know, ideas of, simpatico and collective stuff and, and things like that. But um, I wouldn't say that I'm drawing on it massively when I do my poems about easy listening music yes. sometimes <laughs> things like that. Well, I could put out there for those who didn't recognize the name
0: Artaud, so because we're on radio and not being seen there was a rolling of eyes between the two of us here. But um, just to, to set the stage for what it means to be studying Artaud so um, I know a famous anecdote about two of the beats. One was Allen Ginsberg I can't remember who the other was um, and they were in Paris and someone had given them a tape of toe talking about theater and they listened to it, probably stoned at the time, thought it was fantastically in, you know, uh, wise and important and they were bowled over by this great tape and then it turned out they'd actually listened to the tape backwards.
1: <laughs> oh my word. And had not realized That's it. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Arto had this idea that through the collective um, consciousness like of um, repetition through ritual that we would sort of become attuned to the higher meaning of life. And we were in Christchurch at the time and so we decided that ritual and Christchurch was being boring and bland and this was the collective ritual that we were going to take the meaning of the, but you know, it was just University uh, students being twats, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me.
0: Said with affection. Said with affection.
1: <laughs> well, it was myself, so I can be very self deprecating in that situation. It's
0: taken us in a circle around to um, the self described. Yes, yeah. Twat. So um, I did want to ask you so I, you know, the other thing you were saying about how many years and where drama has taken you, so also physically in terms of location, so you've traveled the world with your shows, haven't mm-hmm. you? And every corner of New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, of which I remember, so it's like the the farthest one I could see in the in the ones I came across so Stewart Island yes. even you took
1: yeah I've, don- I've gone from Taipa Bay which is right 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 at near Cape Reinga down to Stewart Island um, I've done this thing called Arts on Tour which is a fantastic um, corporation out of Christchurch, actually that runs tours all over New Zealand I've done four and so I've done Ocarito, which is a tiny town on the west coast it was a population of 40 and I got 25 so I thought that was quite a good percentage Stuart Stewart Island I had 50 which is also about just over 10% of the population so I was quite happy with that. There's only 400 people on Stewart Island. Um, yeah, and I've done, I've done it everywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I haven't done Timaru. So, if oh. anybody in Timaru, I don't know, I've done Omaru quite a few times, Invercargill, yeah. Riverton, um, all over the show, but I haven't done Tim, uh, Timaru, so yeah. Yeah, well, Timaru, there. you know, mm-hmm. Jacqueline Fahey, who would, could be a perfect Jane
0: Austen um, ca- uh, character, is from Timaru. She's, she's got some great autobiographies about growing up in Timaru, so oh, we, could, we could get into Jacqueline and ask yeah. her, how do we get into the stage in yeah. yeah. Timaru?
1: I've done Geraldine, but yeah. So, yeah. Lots lots
0: of Geraldine, Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Geraldine could be a Jane Austen character just from the name of the town. Indeed. Um, So I've got, for my wrap-up, I've got this lovely quote here, which is that I found out that um, I found a critic speaking of Jane Austen's villains and saying, their real crime is that they do not know a good thing when they see it, and their punishment is that they miss their chance. So, I'm going to say to everybody out there, do not not know a good thing. I think we've shown you the good thing here. And do not be punished by missing your chance. So, it's Austin Found. It's playing from the 14th to the 18th of May at the Q Theatre Vault at 8.30 p.m., a very civilized time. Indeed. To have dinner beforehand.
1: Indeed. (laughs) And it's Conatus, which is the name of our company is Conatus. So, you can find our website, too, conatus.co.nz. And there you go. So, we'll see you there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, Elizabeth. It's been an bottom. indubitable. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure. I, honestly, I, I could not have had a better pastime for the afternoon elevenses that I've ever had here. Or oh, morning. Morning elevenses. Anyway, whatever it is. Morning tea. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> and hi da to all of our listeners. How cute hey.
0: <laughs> this program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35 p.m. on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond.